Chapter 13 Kill it. Kill it immediately. I wanted to run. I wanted to panic. But some strange combination of the cat's cunning and my own intelligence came together and saved me. I didn't so much as flick a whisker. If I had, I would have been dead. I knew that for a fact. If I had reacted like I understood, they would have known for a fact that I was no normal cat. Mr. Three's hologram watched me closely. All four of his andalite eyes were focused on me now. And behind that gentle andalite expression, I could feel the razor-sharp focus of the powerful, evil yerk. Chapman, too, was staring at me. He had the same look in his eyes that he had when he caught someone trying to skip out of school. I was terrified. Or at least, the Rachel part of me was terrified. Fluffer couldn't have cared less. He sensed my concern, but he had none of his own. There were no birds of prey here. There were no dogs. There were no smells of dominant cats. There was only the sort of three-dimensional picture that had no scent. And Chapman. Chapman might be prey, or he might not, but he certainly was no threat. It could be an Andalite, Mr. Three said. Destroy it. In response, I said, Meow. Mr. Three glared at me. What is that? It's, it's the, the sound a cat makes, Visser. I, I believe it wishes to eat. Swap! Suddenly, without warning, Visser Three whipped his tail at me. A dangerous, foot-long, scythe-shaped blade arced toward me at a speed no human could hope to evade. But I wasn't just a human. In a tenth of the time it took to blink, I had seen the sudden motion, and I was crouched down, ears back, teeth bared. My paw, claws outstretched, swiped at the pale blade. My paw went straight through the hologram, and the blade, nothing but a projection, swept through me. <laughs> it took me a second to make sense of the sound. It was Visser Three laughing. Chapman seemed amazed too, like he had never heard the Visser laugh, like it wasn't even possible to imagine the Visser laughing. What a ferocious little beast! Visser Three said approvingly. See how he did not back away or run? I am many times his size, and yet he struck at me. A pity that the species is too small to serve as a host. Yes, a pity, Chapman said warily. Kill it, Visser Three said. What better form for an Andalite to use? Better kill it, just to be safe. Yes, Visser, Chapman said. Oh, only... Only what? The Visser snapped. It belongs to the girl. If I kill the animal, she will be angry. She may draw attention. Killing a cat is seen as a bad deed. It would violate my cover. Visitor Three did not look happy to be disobeyed, but he was not a creature who made impetuous decisions. He considered for a moment while my future just hung there, balancing between life and death. Do not violate your cover or draw attention, the Visitor said at last. I figured it was time for me to do something in my own defense. I walked over and rubbed my flank against Chapman's leg. What is it doing? Mr. Three demanded. It is signaling that it wishes to be fed. Interesting. Claws and teeth and ferocity, mixed with the subtlety to manipulate creatures larger than itself. A worthy creature. Yes, let it live for now. Let it live until we have resolved the matter of the girl. Chapman's face actually seemed to twitch. It was the only emotion he had shown other than fear. The girl, but 
Visser, the agreement with the human chapman. Visser three sneered. Agreements. Don't be a fool. We make agreements to gain voluntary hosts. Agreements are just a tool, just as you are my tool. If you had brought me the Andalite bandits, I would not have to concern myself with a cat or a girl. Chapman bowed his head. I will bring them to you. Do that, Visser Three said coldly. And then the solid-seeming image began to change. The gentle Andalite body melted away, and in its place grew a monster like nothing ever seen on earth. Where the Andalite head had been, there was now a long, thick tube. There was an opening like some horrible mouth at the end of the tube. The thing was purple, but translucent. You could almost see through it, although I wasn't sure if that was because it was a hologram, or if the animal itself was this way. The hologram viscer lowered its tube mouth toward Chapman's head. The mouth opened, revealing hundreds, maybe thousands, of tiny suckers, each dripping slime. It seemed as if the tube mouth closed over Chapman's head. Chapman shook and quivered in terror. Mr. Three's artificial voice said, Don't forget, Innis-226. I gave you this Chapman body. I placed you in his head because I trusted you. I fed you his brain and made you my lieutenant. But I can suck you back out again if you fail me. Would you like to see what happened to the last fool who failed me? Suddenly, an image appeared in the air, like a little movie. It was a second hologram. It showed a human woman, pain-racked, screaming, with the purple creature sucking on her head. The real Chapman began to moan. Oh, no, oh, no, Visser, I beg you. In the little movie, the translucent purple thing suddenly went into a spasm. From the woman's ear came the slug. It was sucked, dripping gray slimy, right out of her head. The purple creature swallowed the yurk slug. The little movie ended. Not a very pretty picture, is it, Innis-226? Chapman just shook his head. His eyes were still staring at the empty air where the images had appeared. Visser Three began to resume his andalite form. Do not fail me, Visser Three said. Suddenly, Visser Three vanished. The room was dark again. Chapman sat hunched over the desk, with his head in his hands. It was a while before he opened the door and we both went back up the stairs. Mrs. Chapman was there, waiting. What are the visitor's orders? she asked in a whisper. Chapman looked like he had just seen a ghost. He wants the Andalite bandits. He... he... morphed into a Vanorax. A Yurkbane. He kept his voice low, too. He glanced toward the stairs. I guess he was checking to see if Melissa was around. Miss Chapman shuddered. I'd heard he'd acquired a Vanorax. I always thought it was just another story to frighten his underlings. He showed me... He showed me how he destroyed Innis-174. Miss Chapman looked shocked. He used a Vanorax on an Innis of the second century? That Andalite controlling scum, Chapman said viciously. I wish the Council of Thirteen would find out what kind of a mess he's been making on this planet. Let them take the Andalite body from him and throw him back in some distant pool on the homeworld. Don't wish for that. Mrs. Chapman said grimly. Long before Visser Three loses power, he will surely have destroyed you for failing him. My cat ears noticed the sound before either of the Chapmans. Movement. Human feet, pounding. I cocked my ears toward the stairs. Hey, Mom? Dad? Could one of you help me with this math problem? It was Melissa. 
She was halfway down the stairs. She stopped and glanced hopefully at her parents, or at least the people who had once been her parents. We're busy right now, Melissa, Chapman snapped. Besides, dear, you should do your own work. That's how you learn, Mrs. Chapman said. If you still can't figure it out later, your father will help you. Melissa's face fell. She forced a smile, but there was no happiness there at all. I guess you're right, Mom. It's just this square root stuff. She hesitated, like she was hoping her parents might change their minds and go back upstairs with her. Miss Chapman smiled. It was as empty as Melissa's. Square roots are hard to understand, aren't they? But I know you can do it. I'll come up and check on you before you turn in, sweetheart, Mr. Chapman said. The words were normal enough. I guess my own mom or dad could have said the exact same thing to me. Dear, sweetheart. But the way they were said, there was something missing. Humanity. Love. Call it what you want. The words were right, but they were completely wrong. It was horrible. Horrible in a totally different way than the monsters we'd fought in the York Pool. This was the kind of horrible that made you want to cry instead of scream. And suddenly, I found myself running after Melissa as she headed back up the stairs. When I reached her room, Melissa sat down on the bed and began sobbing. Rachel, can you hear me? Yes, Tobias. I'm up out of the basement. I'm upstairs in Melissa's room. Thank goodness. I've been trying you every minute or so. I was worried you were trapped downstairs. No, I'm out. Good. You have more than an hour left, but Fluffer is trying to head home. Cassie and Jake and Marco are trying to capture him again, but you know better than anyone how wily he can be. Melissa flopped on her face on the bed. She pulled a pillow over the back of her head and just cried. I can't leave just yet, I said. Rachel, if the real Fluffer walks in while you're still there... Yeah, I know, but I still can't leave right now. I have something I have to do. I went over to the bed. As small as I was, the side of the bed looked like a wall. It could have been the side of a two-story building. I settled back on my haunches, gathering my energy in my leg muscles. Then I sprang up, effortlessly, to land with perfect grace on the bed. I walked over to Melissa and sniffed her hair sticking out from under the pillow. I heard a sound coming from somewhere. It was a sound that reminded me of my mother. It reminded me of both my mothers, the human woman and the cat who had licked my fur and carried me around in her mouth. I recognized the sound. It was purring. I was purring. Melissa put her arm around me and drew me close. The physical contact made me a little anxious. It made the cat in me want to leave. But then she started scratching my neck and behind my ears. I purred a little louder and decided to stay for a while. I don't know what I've done, Melissa said. It startled me to realize she was talking to me. Did she guess the truth? Did she know I was a human? No, she was just a girl talking to her cat. I don't know what I did, Melissa repeated. Tell me, Fluffer McKitty, what did I do? Rachel, what are you doing in there? Tobias, I have plenty of time. You have less than an hour. Don't push your luck. Jake is practically having a fit over here. He's telling me to tell you to get out. Not yet. Melissa needs me. I had stopped purring, probably because I was preoccupied arguing with Tobias. I started purring again. I felt Melissa needed me to purr. She was still crying, still scratching slowly behind my ears. 
What did I do, Fluffer? She asked again. Why don't they love me anymore? I felt like my own heart would break right then. Because I knew now why Melissa had stopped hanging out with me. I knew why she had become more withdrawn. And I knew how little hope there was for her. My stomach turned and twisted. Next time Marco asked why we were fighting the Yurks, I knew I would have a whole new answer. Because they destroyed the love of parents for their daughter. Because they made Melissa Chapman cry in her bed with no one to comfort her but a cat. It was a small answer, I guess. I mean, it wasn't some high-sounding answer about the entire human race. It was just about this one girl. My friend whose heart was broken because her parents were no longer really her parents. Look, Rachel, I told Jake what you said. He said to remind you that you have a job to do in there. You're not there to come. Tell Jake to shut up, Tobias, I said angrily. I'll come out. I'll come out. Just not yet. I purred as loud as I could. Melissa cried, and it came to me like a vision. All the children all over, whose parents had been made into controllers, and the parents whose children had been taken from them to be turned into controllers. It was a terrible thing. I wondered how it must feel to see your parents stop loving you. After a while, Melissa fell asleep. I got up and padded down the stairs to the pet door. It was chilly outside. My friends were all waiting. They were also a little mad at me for making them wait and worry. You only have ten minutes to spare, Rachel, Jake said. I hope it was worth scaring us all half to death. Did you at least discover something useful? Yes, I discovered plenty. I discovered that Chapman has a way to communicate directly with Visser 3. I discovered that Visser 3 is pretty hot to catch us, although he still thinks we're Andalites. And I decided something too. What? Cassie asked me. I decided that I don't care what it takes, or how many risks I have to run. I don't care what happens to me. I hate these yurks. I hate them. I hate them and I will find a way to stop them. Chapter 14 That night and the next morning, I barely got any homework done. In math class, that day I got the first C I'd gotten in a long time. My grades were starting to fall because I was busy trying to save the world, or at least try to save my old friend. I knew now what had happened, why Melissa and I weren't friends anymore, at least not close friends. Something had gone terribly wrong in our life. Her parents no longer loved her. They pretended to. They sounded like they did. But Melissa knew it was all wrong. Every time I thought of it, I felt like my insides were burning from the anger. I guess I knew a little bit about what she was feeling. When my parents got divorced, I was worried that maybe they didn't love me anymore. I was wrong. They still did. I don't see my dad as much as I would like to, but he does love me. My mom loves me. Even my sisters love me. Love is pretty important. It's like wearing a suit of armor. It makes you strong. On my way out of math class, Jake came sliding up next to me. Meeting later, okay? Yeah, whatever. We're at... The church tower, where we were the other day. Okay, but it's a long walk. He turned around to face me, walking backwards and grinning. So don't walk, he said. He waved and headed off down the hall. Two hours later, I was in the air. Let me tell you something. Getting that big eagle body off the ground isn't easy. It's definitely work. I wondered if my human body got any of the aerobic benefits of the exercise. 
Once I got clear off the ground, I was able to catch little gusts of wind to climb higher, but it wasn't until I made it above the trees and the school buildings that I started to get a good solid breeze that helped lift me up. When I was finally high enough, I spotted Tobias. His reddish tail feathers were like a beacon. Man, that was a workout, I said when I got close enough. Tell me about it. Follow me. The mall is an excellent place for thermals. The mall? Why the mall? It's all the parking space. See, the concrete gets hot in the sun. The concrete, the cars, the building themselves, they're all hot. So there's almost always a nice warm updraft. Flying is like the nicest thing in the world, I said dreamily. Yeah, it is, Tobias agreed. One of the nicest things. But there are things you miss, too. Sitting back on the couch with a can of pop and a bag of chips, and no school the next day and something good on TV? That's a good feeling, too. He didn't sound like he was feeling sorry for himself, just like he was mentioning something that happened to be true. There's the church tower. I see another bird heading toward it, and I think I see Cassie coming out of her morph. Down we go, Tobias said. Ten minutes later, I had morphed back into my human body. You know what we need? Marco said. We need to coordinate these morphing outfits. I mean, Cassie's wearing green pattern leggings and a purple stretch top, and Jake's got on those awful bike shorts, and Rachel is stylish, as always, with her black tights. Put it all together and we look pretty scruffy. What do you want? Jake asked him. You want us all to wear blue with a big number four on our chests? Become the Fantastic Four? The Fantastic Four plus the amazing bird boy, Tobias added. No way, Marco said. Not the Fantastic Four. I'm thinking more an X-Men kind of thing. It's not about being identical. It's just about having some style. Right now, if anyone saw us, they wouldn't think, Oh, cool, superheroes. They'd think, Man, those people do not know how to dress. Marco, I said, I think it's time to get over this fantasy of yours. We are not superheroes. This is not a comic book. Yeah, but I really, really want it to be a comic book. See, in comic books, the heroes don't get killed. I mean, okay, they killed Superman that time, but it was only temporary. Can we get back to reality here? Jake asked. We have business to discuss. What's the matter with combining green and purple? Cassie asked Marco. It's a major fashion no-no, Marco said. Been reading Vogue again, Marco? I teased. Jake put his hand over Marco's mouth. People? And I use the term loosely. We need to decide what we're going to do next. Marco pried Jake's hand away. I want to decide what we're doing next. I should be spending more time with my dad. You know, he's still messed up over my mom. Marco's voice always cracked whenever he mentioned his mom. He'd start out sounding tough and all, but his voice would end up with that little break, that little wobble. It had been two years since his mother disappeared. They said she'd drowned, although they never found her body. His father had fallen apart. It was the main reason Marco was so reluctant to become an anamorph. He was worried that if anything ever happened to him, his dad would just give up totally. I could see that Jake was about to say something impatient, and I was feeling the same way, like Marco just needed to deal with reality. But Cassie put her hand on Marco's arm. Don't ever let any of this get in the way of spending time with your dad, she said earnestly. He needs you. We need you too, Marco but your dad comes first. She looked at Jake, then at me. 
There isn't much point in doing any of this if we forget why we're doing it. I thought about Melissa. I thought about my mom and dad and how great it was to have them, even when they got on my nerves. Cassie's right. When you get home, tell your dad you love him, Marco. I blurted it out without thinking about it. It wasn't the kind of thing I normally say. Thank you, Dr. Rachel, Marco said. He said it snidely, but I could see he knew what I was talking about. Then he was suddenly all business. He rubbed his hands together. Okay, let's get serious here. How are we going to go about getting ourselves killed next? Turn into flies at a frog convention? Morph into turkeys at Thanksgiving? I want to go back in, I said. Back into Chapman's. Why? Jake asked. We learned a lot already, we... We didn't learn the location of the Condrona, I pointed out. That's what we need to do, sooner or later. The Andalite made it pretty clear to Tobias that the Condrona is the weak point for the Yurks. The Kendrona sends out the rays that are concentrated in the Yurk pools. If we destroy the Kendrona, we hurt them bad. Marco raised a skeptical eyebrow. Excuse me, Rachel, but what is a Kendrona? I mean, we know what it does, but what does it look like? How big is it? For all we know, the Kendrona could be the size of a lighter and be in Visor 3's pocket. That's not the impression I got from the Andalite, Tobias said. Whatever, Marco said impatiently. The point is, how do we destroy something when we don't even know what it is? That's why we have to follow the one lead we have, I said. Chapman. Chapman communicates with Visser 3. The two of them know where the Kondrona is. If I can spy on them, maybe I can figure it out. They were all staring at me. Marco looked at me like I was crazy. Jake looked thoughtful. Cassie looked worried, like she wasn't sure about what I was saying. Tobias turned his fierce, intimidating hawk stare on me. Are you sure you're just going back to spy on Chapman? He asked me privately. I don't think you should go back in there alone, Jake said. How is anyone going to go in with me? I asked. We can't have two cats running around. I mean, as Fluffer, I can go anywhere without any of them being suspicious. See, I hadn't told anyone about Visser 3 telling Chapman to kill me. I knew it was wrong to keep secrets like that from the group. But if I told them, they would never have let me go back in. Unfortunately, although Jake may not be all that perceptive, Cassie is. Are you sure nothing went wrong while you were in there, Rachel? Cassie asked me. She was looking at me with this kind of sideways look Cassie gets when she's trying to figure someone out. It was scary, I said, but nothing happened. It wasn't exactly a lie. Kind of a lie, but not exactly. Cassie thought for a moment. Her eyes went blank. Suddenly I knew what was going on. Tobias was talking to her privately. He was telling her something. She nodded like she was agreeing. Tobias didn't know what happened with Visser 3, but he did know I was pretty freaky when I came up out of that basement. I think we should find a way for someone to go along with Rachel, Cassie suggested. What are you going to do? Turn into a flea and ride on my back? I asked her. She smiled and gave a little shrug. I'm just saying we should think about it. Okay then, Jake said. Rachel goes in one more time. Maybe we get lucky. We haven't gotten lucky since we walked through that construction site and met our first alien, Marco said. Maybe that's going to change, I said. I'm going in and I'm finding a way to hurt those creeps. That's not the only reason you're going back in there, Tobias said in my head. You're not just doing it to hurt the yurks. You're going back in there because you want to help Melissa. Same thing, I said. 
I guess the others wondered who I was talking to. Hey, Phantomorphs. Um, I'm actually eating dinner right now before I go do some, like, D&D type of shit. So, uh, we're gonna keep this one real brief. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs podcast audiobook experience. Something. It's something. Um, to hear more, please visit audiomorphs.podbean.com. That's audiomorphs.podbean.com. If you have questions or comments, please visit audiomorphscast.tumblr.com or audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Now, let's see if I can remember what my sign-off is. My name is Daniel, and I know that one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.